What an incredible moment that was. But the timeline of that is kind of unique. I know it shows Mary dropping, and she has this revelation of who Jesus is, but that's really not accurate. It's really not exactly how it took place. You can imagine all that's happened to them and all that they have seen. Let me give you kind of the timeline of that morning. And so before daybreak, before the sun ever comes up, the guards are standing outside the tomb. Everything is good. There's nothing happening. It's been three days, no problem. But on that morning before sunrise, there's a earthquake. And it's an earthquake that's brought about by an angel. And the guards see this angel sitting on top. And, he, and they are terrorized. All the Roman soldiers that were meant to guard it flee. The, the tomb, it opens. But it's not opening to let somebody out. It's not like we think Jesus came out of the tomb. It was so that people could get in. It was so that people could see, that people could actually watch and see what was taking place. And so about daybreak, early that morning, several women came together. The mother of Zebedee, uh, uh, the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, Mary Magdalene, Salome. Several women got together and said, we're going to see if we can't go and maybe they'll roll the stone away. Maybe we can put spices on. Maybe we can do something. And they get to the tomb and this is what they see. They see the stone rolled away. They see Mary Magdalene immediately thinks somebody has stolen him. Somebody's moved the body, and she runs back to tell Peter and John. The two main people she knows are his main disciples. She runs back to tell them. The other women go into the tomb. They walk in, and they are met by angels. They come out. They're met by Jesus. They run to where the disciples are all gathered together, hiding out from the, basically from the law, hoping they don't get caught and killed. And so they run to go tell all the disciples. While they're doing that, Mary Magdalene has got to James and John. She tells them, and they take off running to the tomb. Now, John is younger. Peter would probably be more my size, fatter and older. So he doesn't make as good a time. And so John gets there first. He looks in. He sees everything. Peter comes and sees Mary Magdalene is even slower than them. She gets back to the tomb and what you saw on the video is an illustration of her. When everybody's left, she walks out of the tomb thinking somebody has stolen his body. That's when she meets Jesus. Now during all of this, the soldiers have already gone back to the Pharisees and told them what happened and the Pharisees said, look, we're going to pay you to tell a different story. We're going to pay you to do something different. You just say that, that, that somebody came and stole the body, that you guys just all were asleep. Now, that story's not going to hold up because one thing Roman guards are not going to do on their shift is all go to sleep at the same time. If they were in charge of taking care of that tomb, believe me, their life was on the line. They were not going to go to sleep. But that became the story that people just tried to spread, but it never stood up. 
During this time also, after Mary Magdalene sees him, she runs back and tells the disciples. Two of the disciples are on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appears to them and begins to walk with them and walks all the way to Emmaus until he finally reveals himself. And they're so excited, they run all the way back to Jerusalem. Now everybody is in this room. Everybody is is in this place. And it's all taking place in these short few hours. And all of this is happening on resurrection morning. This is not just some one incident, not just some one moment, not, not just some one person that saw this. This was an incredible moment in time. We could go even further when we talk about all that took place. Later, Jesus will show up to all the disciples in the room. Later, he will show himself again. In fact, for nearly 40 days post-Easter, he will show himself to the 11 again. He will show himself to seven. That's the ones that are fishing by the shore. He will show himself on the mountain of Galilee. He will show himself to over 500 at one time. He will show himself to James. He will show himself at the ascension where he rises. And later he will show himself to Saul who is the persecutor of the church, who is a murderer of Christians. He will show himself to him to say, why are you persecuting me? Why why is all of this taking place? Because listen to me, I want you to understand that what we've done so far is we've talked about the history, we've talked about how everything has happened and everything has been historically written. All these weeks we've been studying, I haven't tried to tell you anything like, guys, I just wanna get you real emotional and get you real pumped up and whether we have any facts or not, we just believe it anyway. Everything about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, Everything is historically written. It's not just simply something that happened. That's why there's nobody coming out with a new documentary and and debunking Jesus' resurrection or debunking Jesus' life. That's why after 2,000 years, it's as as settled as Abraham Lincoln lived. It's as settled as George Washington lived. It's as settled as any historical thing. So when somebody comes along and says, well, we don't know, listen to me, they're going way off the deep end because everything historical has said it's who he is. Now, the first two we can kind of understand. If we were to say breaking news, People say that today, if you ever watch newscast, it'll have a little thing at the bottom that says breaking news. And it's breaking until the next breaking news. And until the next breaking news. C.S. Lewis said it this way. You put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. But if you put second things first then we lose both the first and the second things. See, what the world does is it just keeps throwing things and it keeps forgetting that the first thing is already settled. So when they're coming on the newscast and they're saying, Ukraine is in war with Russia, it should end up by saying, Ukraine is in war with Russia, but Jesus is still sitting on the throne. Breaking news. Breaking news, inflation, bread is getting higher. But thanks be to God, Jesus is still sitting on the throne. Breaking news. Why? Because if you don't get the first news right, 
the second, the third, the fourth news that you get will water down your reality and you will start to miss what is truly happening in life and truly happening. And that's what happens to us all the time. We are caught up in what happened yesterday or what happened here or, or what happened a few minutes ago or what popped up on our phone on our newscast. And some, some people even have it. I got a buddy who's got one on ESPN. And if there's any breaking news, he goes, da-da-da, on his phone. It's breaking news. But the reality is, Since the last 2,000 years, there has only been one breaking news. And that breaking news has outlived every government, has outlived every theology, has outlived kingdoms, has outlived kings, has outlived thrones and dominions. That one moment of breaking news has changed everything, has settled everything in life. Go with me in your Bibles. This is what... This is what the apostles taught. If you want to call it the apostles' creed. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to show you a scripture. This is what Paul, he emphatically said, this is what we teach, this is what we believe. So, so there's, there's no question. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Look at the person beside you and say, first importance. Before I told you about anything else, before I told about the weather, before I talked about anything, we went ahead and settled it. Do you know that Jesus is alive? Do you know that Jesus is alive? That's the first most important statement that has to come out of your life. You may say, but my child is sick, but Jesus is alive. Hey, but I've got to go through this problem, but Jesus is alive. If Jesus is alive, that changes everything about everything else that's going on in my life. So Paul said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last he, all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. He said he came back just to show himself to me. This was the creed. This was what they taught. If you were to bump into Paul and you would say, Paul, man, I'm gonna tell you something. It's getting kind of rough around Rome right now. Hey, that's all right because I got news for you and I've got the first and most important news. I got breaking news for your life is that Jesus Christ lived and he died, but he rose from the dead. I got breaking news for your life is that Jesus is reigning and ruling right now. Hey, it's not an accident. It wasn't done in some hidden place. It was done in front of hundreds and hundreds of people who can verify that it happened. It was breaking news. So the resurrection then of Christ is rooted in facts. Listen to how Paul states this through this. Notice the facts that he brings out. Number one, he says it's rooted in the prediction. Even before Jesus arrived, it was already predicted. It was already spoken. It was already said. Prophets had already told you. 700 years, 700 years before he would arrive, the prophets told you what would happen. And they told you how he would die, which was not created until 400 years before he arrived. So 300 years before 
crucifixion, this, this style of killing someone was ever created. This was created in 400 B.C. 700 B.C., the prophet, seeing exactly how Jesus would die, began to write, here's how he will die. Here's what will happen. Here's what they will do to him. How did that happen? Because it was predicted. Paul said, listen, I'm a studier of scriptures. He said, I've spent my whole life studying scriptures. And let me tell you something. Jesus fulfilled all the predictions that were ever given about the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled every single one. The second thing you find out about it is, is that it was full not only of predictions, but it was historical in its witnesses. Not just one person, not just two people, not just three people, but the historians of the day, the people of the day declared it happened. Now you can do with it what you want to, but it happened. We don't understand. We, 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 we can only tell you what happened. All the people who met him, all the apostles who met him, everyone who ran into him, everyone who, who bumped into him. Not only that, but listen, it was rooted in historical time. And it would be one thing if this was all written down 300 years later or 200 years or 100 years later. But when Paul writes this, it's in 55. 55 AD. And so in 55 AD, he says, listen, everything I'm telling you, there are people around that can verify everything that I'm saying. How they carried on stories of their time is different than us. What we do is we have one newscast that tells you one half of a story, and then we have another newscast that tells you the other half of the story, and then we have this other newscast that says, we're going to tell you the whole story, and then we got this other. Let me tell you how it worked in their time. In their time, if you had a story, then you stood in the synagogue and you stood in front of all the people of that time and you told, you heralded your story. Remember how the stories of Paul, he would go from town to town and on the Sabbath day, on those days, he would go into the synagogues and he would debate and he would talk and he would preach. What was he doing? That was the way it was taught in that day. It, it, was, it was not simply something that somebody just said and nobody could verify or nobody questioned. If you brought something up, if you walked into a city and said, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, who was the son of God, who lived a sinless life, you are fixing to get into a heated debate. You are fixing to have to defend everything you said. And Paul said, let me tell you something about what I've taught you. Not only was it something historical, not only was something, but it was something in time so that we were there, testified of it, debated it, settled it. That's why there is no debate over 2,000 years later because at that time, there was no controversy. It was settled. We know Jesus rose from the dead. That's why Peter was able to preach on the day of Pentecost the way he preached. He's standing in the same city that Jesus died. He's standing in the same city where they said, oh, they stole the body. He's standing, but listen to me. They're uh, trying to twist the truth wouldn't work. That's why Peter, when he stood up and preached to 3,000 that day, there wasn't no debate. He said, you have killed that Jesus, but it's okay because that Jesus rose from the dead and 3,000 that knew the story said, we want to receive Christ. Oh, it's, it's, it's so good. It's rooted 
and no alternative motive. If somebody was going to fabricate, if somebody was going to come up with this, if somebody was going to to do this, then they would have done it in such a way that it would have made sense. It would have, it would have made, I mean, Peter was going to have to make a living out of this, right? If you're going to come up with this story, you've got to be able to write books about it. You've got to be able to go on a tour where they pay you to speak, and, and you've got to make, no. There was no alternative mo- ulterior motive for any of these disciples. They knew that the moment they said that Jesus did what he did, the moment that they said he rose from the dead, their lives were in danger. All of the disciples in time, except for one, would give their life as martyrs. They didn't have a pension plan. They didn't have any money. They were just told this is what happened. They just saw it with their own eyes. And it was so truthful, and it was so to them what they had to do that they were willing to give their life. Not one of them ever backtracked and said, look, we just made it up. There's no ulterior motive. There's no reason for them to have made the story up other than they just wanted to die. Finally, Paul says, listen to me. The reason the story of the resurrection is so important is because of its impact. Because of what happened. So, Brother Lot, if if it's historical, if it's settled, if it's, then what happened? What exactly makes Easter this morning? Why so many people, what makes Easter what it is? Why are we here? Why are we celebrating? Why are we not crying over a a Savior that died? What what is the, the deal? What exactly happened? Well, I hope today that I can give this to you. Because go with me in your Bibles. Go with me to the book of Luke. And I want to show you something very important. The book of Luke, chapter 24. Now before I read this, I want to show the video of this real quick. This is Jesus. Now I told you that he came back and he showed up into the room where all the disciples, the one from Emmaus had run back to Jerusalem. Peter and John were there. All the other disciples, the ladies were in there who told them we just saw Jesus. And people are like, look, we don't know. We don't, we don't know what in the world's going on. You, you, y'all, something is up, but we can't figure it out. And this is what happens. Can you imagine that moment? But there's a moment in the moment that's important. Because even if we just believe Jesus rose from the dead, there's something in there that even they could not grasp unless God allowed them to. Here's what it says in Scripture as you pull up chapter 24, beginning at verse 43. Here's what it says. And he took it and ate it. This is when he sat down in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, even uh, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And notice what it says then. Then he, look at the person beside you and say, has your mind ever been open? See, I, I can tell you that Jesus lived. I can tell you that he died. I can tell you that there's an empty grave in Jerusalem that I visited that's in the garden and, and, and there's nothing there. There's no one in there. There's, there's, there hasn't been anybody in there in a long, long time. 
But what I can't do is what only God can do in your life is to make you understand what has actually taken place and what actually has happened in your world. Something has happened in your world that has changed it whether you want to or not, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. And it's why when you die, the Christian faith will continue to go on or until Jesus finally returns and says, that's it. Because you can't stop it, you can't end it. Something has happened. Let me me put it to you this way. There are intersections that God has brought in time. There are intersections that has happened through time. Uh, Let me see if I can uh, get someone to, to, to help me here. Let me help me. All right, so let me see if I can show it to you in an illustration. You have to follow me with a camera. They'll just have to follow me with a camera. Okay, you're here. You're on earth. We were together at one time when Adam and Eve were here. But they sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought separation. So now I'm separated from you, but my desire, my longing is to be with you. My longing is to be near you. So here's what happens. You're walking along in life. Start walking. This way. You're walking along. And and I'm walking along through out of time, but watching your time. Every now and then, I show up in a, a Moses. I show up in an Abraham. I show up in Joshua. I give the right words to the prophets. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, I'm entering into time, but I can't, I can't stay there. There's a separation between us that cannot be changed. I can try to come in, and, and the closer you can get to doing what I ask you to do, the laws that I've given you, then the closer I can get to you, but, but it, it never lasts. It, it, it can't last because you are not perfect. You can't do it. And so therefore, I'm, I'm stuck in a situation. So there are moments in time that run parallel. There's heaven running parallel with our time. Heaven ran before our time began, and we know through revelations, heaven will run after our time. But while we're here, this ran. Thank you. So what I want you to see in that is this, is that from the moment Jesus entered the world, what did he tell them? From the moment Jesus entered the world, Jesus began to preach to them, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. So what's happening is there's an intersection. So here's what took place. When Jesus entered the world, Emmanuel means what? God with us. Guess what God did? I'm going to intersect our worlds, but I can only intersect it through one man. Through Jesus, I brought the kingdom of God into your world. So so you saw it. In fact, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. So so what what the world saw through Jesus' 33 years was they saw Jesus walking with humanity and he's got a connection with God and yet he's close enough to us to try to get us to understand what's going on. Does that make sense? Okay, not, not hard. Okay, so Jesus lives his life. This intersection is Emmanuel, God with us. God has brought 
his parallel world into our world. And so Jesus was with us. But here's the problem. Jesus has to die to take us to another level. Because Jesus can't stay here forever. He can't live here forever. He can't, he's gonna, if he does it like a man, he's gonna die like a man. And one day he's gonna be gone and that's gonna be the end of it just like Moses and just like Joshua. But Jesus is, has a plan by the Father that's different. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring heaven and earth into connection one more time like it was before the sin, before the fall. I'm going to bring man and eternity. I'm going to bring creation and and eternity into union and they're going to walk together. So through the cross, this was our next intersection. So we beheld as we celebrate Christmas, Jesus coming into the world, Emmanuel with us. Then we celebrate Christmas. Easter, and you have to be careful what you celebrate at Easter because this happened on Friday. And what happened on Friday was that, as we studied last week, he took the wrath for all of us. The Bible says in Zechariah that he took his sword, God's sword, all his wrath, And he poured it out on who? On Jesus. Not me and you. We deserved it, but he he didn't pour it out on us. He he stored it all up. And the Bible says in Zechariah, Arise, O sword, and strike the shepherd. And that's what it did. In our place, Jesus said, Lord, strike me. Don't strike them. Strike me. If you strike them, they're just getting what they deserve. But if you strike me, then I can start a new covenant. I can establish something different. And so the next intersection that we see in time was where justice met grace. It's where holiness met mercy. And many people get stuck at the cross. That's where we get stuck is, is, is well, you know, God loves me and, and God died for me and God, and, and we wear crosses on our, and, and, and it's, it's kind of where we get stopped in our life. It's like, well, Jesus loves me and he died for me. And that's true. But you gotta understand the bigger picture. He wasn't dying just to simply die so you would be saved. He died so he could bring his kingdom. That's what he told them to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, thy will be on earth as it is in heaven. He said, I'm trying to tell you, we're starting a new covenant here and this covenant has to be birthed in my blood and by my blood, we're going to start something else. It's another intersection that the world has never seen. It's another intersection that the world has never grasped. It's another intersection that something happened on that day that the apostles did not understand. But Jesus said, I opened their eyes and I let them understand. So if I was to tell you, tell me about the cross, you'd say, oh, I understand. Jesus died for my sins. If I said... Tell me about his birth. Oh, I understand. He came to be with us and to live with us and to live as a man. And and that's, that's what he came to do, Emmanuel with us. Okay, those are intersections. But the third intersection is an empty tomb. And the empty tomb intersection is the most powerful intersection that's ever been created. You see, that intersection, Easter is a celebration of an event, the resurrection of Christ. 
And all it speaks to God's plan for creation. For us, it's the intersection by which eternity, the eternal realm of God, settles its claim upon the created realm that we live in. Therefore, that's why you can say to anyone, you've been bought with a price. That's why he can later say, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You can stay in here today and say, no, I won't. Oh, yeah, you will. Oh, yeah, because you done been bought. You were purchased a long time ago. You may not like it. You may not want it. You may deny it. You may say, I'm not going to accept it, but it won't do you no good. It's already happened. That's the reason why you can't crush out Christianity. That's why you can't stomp out Jesus. That's why you can't. Why? Because the owner cannot be pushed out of his own property. And God says, listen to me. I own it. I own it. They couldn't have made it up because there was no writings, no documents that they had written up as some creed before. It was not until Jesus told them what was happening. They were preaching it before they ever started writing it. They couldn't have made it up. Whatever happened threatened the powers that were so badly that the only thing that they could do was try to kill every single person that was speaking it. Whatever happened could easily have been dismissed if it was just simply somebody stole from a grave. But something happened. Whatever happened was clearly not expected. It's where one kingdom intersected with another kingdom. Let me show it to you in this way. There are two words that the Greek use, uses for time. Chronos is the one version. When the Greeks say chronos, what they're talking about is just normal time. They're talking about time like we would use in, in chronology. This happened on this date. This happened. Anybody ever study American history and all that? Mm-hmm. They say, and, and this date happened here. And this ha- that's chronology. That's studying time. That, it just happened in the course of time. And that's what we live. We live in the course of time. From one date to the next, from one birthday to the next. But when the other word is introduced, chronos, when chronos is introduced, that's a different phrase. That means seasons or age. So what happened? When Jesus says that the kingdom of God is near, he uses the word keros. He's saying, what I'm telling you is, is that from this moment on, heaven and earth will never be separated again. Heaven and earth this morning, folks, cannot be separated from each other. That's why when you walk into a room like this, and the Bible says when we begin to praise him and worship him, you know what happens? He enters the room. Why? Because he's not separated from us. It doesn't matter if they stick you in a jail. Ask Paul and Silas. If they stick me in a jail and put me in stocks, that's going to say, oh no, you can't be separated anymore. Heaven walks into whatever room, any hospital room, heaven walks into it. Whatever home that you say, I want to change, heaven walks into it. Wherever you bring the kingdom of God, wherever you introduce the kingdom of God, it can't be pushed out, it can't be run out. That's what Jesus did through his life. 
all he was doing through his whole life was to try to illustrate to the world before he died what the kingdom of God was like. And how did he do that? He would walk up to people who were demon possessed, who had multitudes and legions of demons in them, and, and they would fall at his feet and say, don't, don't persecute us now, not before our time. What was he showing them? He said, when the kingdom of God enters the realm of the earth, when, when the kranos enters the chronology, when all of those connect, all of a sudden there's something that changes in the atmosphere. The world has changed. You can walk up to lepers and all of a sudden lepers can be healed. You can walk up to dead people and dead people can come to life. Why? Because they said, we know at the resurrection something will happen and Jesus says, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. You don't understand. Any word that I speak on this side is just as powerful as the other side. Oh, if you could grasp that. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. Here's what Peter says about it later. But do not forget this one thing. Look at the person beside you and say one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So what's happening in our world when we start to get kind of, well, things aren't happening as fast here as we'd like them to see. It's because heaven has a better view and heaven says, don't worry, I'm not slow to answer you. Everything's gonna happen in its own time, in its own way. I just need you to listen. I just need you to trust. Turn with me in your Bibles. I want to show you a few things here. So what is it we're inheriting in this new realm? What do we inherit in this new realm to where? No, I've got to have my buddy again. You just want to be, a, you just want to get up here. All right, now you come up here. See, I, I don't have to come down there anymore. Because now you're seated in heavenly places. Yeah. Yeah. You're more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. You're able to overcome. There's no weapon formed against you, nothing. So as we walk through life now, guess what we're doing? We're walking through life, and guess what we're looking at? We're looking at time. We're just watching time. When people get all frustrated, well, so-and-so died. That's just time. So, so, so-and-so, man, it's not going. That's just time. You see what's happening in the world? That's just time. You don't understand. I, I, I quit living in time. Paul would say it this way. If I was to be absent from this physical body, what would happen? How did he know that? He said, because I'm already with Christ where I'm seated. I just got to shed this body to get there. He understood when he was preaching and they understood it in their time that listen, we're not living in time. That's why if you were to tell them, hey, I'll, I'll kill you if you stop, don't stop preaching about Jesus. He said, if you let me live, I just have to keep living in time. But if you kill me, to die is to be with Christ. 
He said, you, hey, you just show and choose whatever you want, but let me go ahead and break it to you. You ain't got anything to hold over me anymore. I am free. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You keep waiting for physical things to be free. You keep waiting for earthly things to be free. But Jesus didn't come to tell you about earthly things being free. He said, I came to put your name in the Lamb's book of life. I came that you would be a citizen of heaven. I came that, yes, you may live days and troubled days and some days down here. But listen, those days when they're gone, you don't ever die. Those who believe in me just keep right on walking. Why? Because they are walking in eternity. We're going to keep living in eternity. This old flesh may fade away but I'm going to keep living the same way I've always been living since I met Jesus Christ and made him my Savior. So, So what are we inheriting in this resurrection? What are we inheriting? Number one, go with me to Romans 8 and 22 through 23. In the resurrected life that we're living now, we have unrestricted bodies. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as it pains for the childbirth right of this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the... You understand? Those of us now that aren't living here that, are li- that have the first fruits of the Spirit, what's our groaning? Groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of? Oh, if, if you could grasp that. The redemption of your? Oh, so as I'm walking along with Christ, and I hurt some days, and I, and I, get, I get, but you know what? All it tells me is, is one of these days. One of these days, I'm going to shed this one. And I'm going to put one on like Jesus had. And Jesus could walk through walls and eat and, and, and have all the, and didn't have no more pain. It didn't have no more joint problems. Didn't have any more. I'm going to reach a day where I'm going to have a new body. All I have right now is the first fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit has brought me into the relationship. I'm living in heavenly places. I'm sitting on thrones. But right now I'm waiting for the moment when I can finally, in the real, come out to be what I am already in the Spirit. For church, to some people, this is why it's very hard because you keep trying to make this fit your life. And church gets to be really a bother to you because what Christ did is not about your life here. Newsflash. You're going to die and leave every bit of it. But newsflash, whatever you've done in the kingdom... That won't ever go away. That's going to follow you for eternity. That's going to be with you way after this realm is over when you're still living in this realm. Number two, the resurrection, then the life, creates the ultimate community. Go with me to Matthew 8 and 11. Matthew 8 and 11. Here's what he says. I say to you, as many 
that many will come from the east and from the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's reiterated in Revelations where he says in Revelations, I saw, John said, I saw them coming from every tribe and every nation. I saw them coming from every corner. I wish the church understood this because if we did, we could show people how to cure racism. We could, we could show people how to cure racism. I can cure racism in, in, in three seconds. How, Brother Lot? Quit being a race. Quit being a race. You're neither long, no longer Jew, nor Gentile, nor Greek, or anything else. All you are to each other from this moment on is your brothers and sisters. You don't live in that realm anymore. You live in this realm. And in this realm, let me explain to you what happens. There is none of that. What the world's longing to see is that I don't think y'all believe it. I don't think y'all think there is a heaven. Why? Because y'all don't, don't act like there's a heaven. You don't treat people like there's a heaven. But if we finally got in our minds and understood that you know what? All I have in this world, if you're saved, is a brother and a sister. All I've got in this is part of my family. I came out of all my background, whether I was German or, or Irish or, or whatever I was from my past or whether you come from, from Africa or Asia or wherever it is, you gave all that up when you came into the kingdom, brother. You gave all that up when you came into the kingdom, sister. When people try to tell you that we're trying to figure out how to get this congregation of this nationality and this guy, you, you're already starting from the wrong thing. You're already messed it up from the beginning. I want to tell you there is no division in the kingdom. The kingdom is one race. That's the cure. He said, listen to me. You're going to have community, fellowship, and that unity will be across time. Think about it. It ain't just race, but one of these days, I'm going to shake hands and get to hug the neck of Abraham. Think about it. He said, one day when we all sit down, not just nationalities, but past and, 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 and Martin Luther King and, 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 and all, those, all those different people are going to be there, and I'm going to get to hug there. And you know what? They're not going to say, Hey, you ought to come over and sit with our group. There ain't going to be no group except that big group. And that's the day I long for. If we could show that to the world, oh. Number three, the resurrection life, what it gives us on this side is it gives us joy, being secure and satisfied. Go with me to Revelations 21 and 4. Revelations 21 and 4. Here's what it says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things is gone. There's just this now. Does that make sense? Do you understand what Jesus did? He connected the realms. They ran parallel, but he said, no, no, no. I want them to run together so that those that are in me never know death. 
Those that are in me never know loneliness. That you say, well, well, I'm alone. No, you're not. You'll never be alone because Jesus promised. He said, because I connected the realms, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but be with you to the end of the way. I will be there for you every time you call on me. There's not a person in this room right now that can't say, Jesus, I need you, that the Holy Spirit won't come down and intercheck in your life because the realms are connected. The fourth thing is that the resurrected life is one of unquestionable significance. Go to Revelations 22 and 5. There will be no more night. There will be no need for light for the lamp of the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever. You're not going up there getting a chair and sitting down for eternity. It is a place of reigning. Go with me to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6, and I'll show it to you in in his writings. Here's what he says. Praise be to our God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into a what? That's why I said you have an inheritance. Not later. You have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So the things that you're connected and you're sending, it's connected so it's never going to be disconnected. This is what it says. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice. Because I know this, I'm rejoicing. I'm celebrating today. But Brother Lot, I mean, I got stuff going on. Listen, I rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. That's that realm. God says, I haven't closed that realm out yet. So when you're living in this life and you say, man, bad things are happening. Yes, they do. They happen in that realm. Why don't God fix it? He did. He created a different realm. And he said, I know you may have to suffer in this time, but don't worry. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to make good of it. We're going we're to bring glory out of it. We're going to do, you just hang in there with me, but just know that you just go ahead and glorify me and praise me. Why? Because the moment you walk out of that realm, you'll walk in the realm that you belong to for eternity. That's what the tomb gave us. The tomb gave us the connection to heaven that we never had before. Go with me to Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on show it to you again. Go to Mark, Mark 8, 34 through 36. This is Jesus speaking. Then he called the crowd unto him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life 
If you try to live in this realm and think you're going to find your joy and your happiness and completeness and you're going to get it all settled in that realm, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be a miserable loser. You, you, you may be rich, but you're going to die broke. You're not carrying any of it with you. It's going to end just as quickly there as you came. He said, listen, if you try to save your life on this world, if you think this realm is going to fix your world and make you happy, you're going to lose your life. But for whatever, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will that's how we connect with the kingdom. For what good is it for someone to gain a whole world? That realm that we live in, we call time. What good is it to gain everything you think you need? When he said, let me tell you how it ends. One day I say, that's it. I'll roll it up like a ball and I'll release it and it'll be gone. This realm, for what good will it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose this realm? If you lose this, the meaning of his life, the meaning of of his death, the meaning of an empty tomb. If you miss it, then there's nothing and nowhere on this earth you will ever go. I don't care. Ask, ask Gates and whoever else you want to how happy they are now. Tell them that it solve all their problems. Look at all these millionaires and billionaires and people on there fighting and arguing and cheating and stealing and why are they doing it? Don't they have enough by now? They got enough for four generations of their kids to live happily. No, because they're not happy. They know four generations of their kids won't live happy. No. There's a story of a guy that's kind of important to me. I've mentioned C.S. Lewis a couple times. And C.S. Lewis to me is one of the better stories of this because let me just read it and, and it'll, it'll make sense. This is his conversion. C.S. Lewis went on to be one of the greatest writers of our Christian time. He, he, he did television, radio shows. He, he, he did all, uh, all kind of things in radio, just, just books that he wrote and things. He was one of the, the, the best minds, the Christian minds there was. But I want you to know how he started. Here's what it says. Literary genius, the literary scholar C.S. Lewis, former professor of medieval and Renaissance literature at Cambridge University, when writing about his conversion to Christianity, indicated that he had believed Christians to be wrong. The last thing Lewis wanted was to embrace Christianity. The last thing somebody wants is to believe that that world is not a world that's going to solve your problems. To finally admit that world won't fix it. That world won't make it right. 
After evaluating the basis of evidence of Christianity, Lewis concluded that in other religions there was no such historical claim as in Christianity. That's why I keep telling you. Study the history. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't go to church. He studied the history. His knowledge of literature forced him to treat the gospel record as a trustworthy account. It was by now too experienced. He was by now too experienced in, in literary criticism to regard the gospel as a myth. Finally, contrary to his strong stand against Christianity, Professor Lewis had to make an intelligent decision. He says, you must picture me alone in that room at Magdalene. Night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even a second from my work to steady, unrelenting approach of him who is so earnestly desired not to meet. I don't want to meet him. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God. I knelt and I prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant Kernberg in all of England. You would think that he'd be jumping up and down and, and excited. But what he finally come to the conclusion of was that heaven had bought earth that heaven had taken its claim. And there wasn't no amount of him doing and no amount of him going. There wasn't anyone he would ever meet in life. There's nothing he would ever accomplish in life. There's nothing that he would do that would surpass the understanding that this realm will end, but the eternal realm will continue. And C.S. Lewis knelt on his knees and said, God, You are the God of heaven. You are the God of eternity. Paul would later write it this way. He said, one day this mortal would put on immortality and this carnal would put on the incorruptible. And this morning, that is what we stand every Easter when we come together. We celebrate this one dynamic moment. Yes, Jesus lived. And He did all those miracles and He did all those things that are written about Him. And yes, He died on the cross. He was pierced, died, and was buried. But today, the greatest statement that there ever has been in the world, the greatest breaking news that there ever has been, is that Jesus Christ reigns. Is that on the third day, He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And today, whether you understand it, believe it, or even want to accept it, He is your King. And if something swells up in you and says, He's not mine, then you're just fooling yourself. Because today, He bought it all. There is no power greater than His. The last thing He told His disciples when He looked at them, He says, All power has been given to me. Now you go. There's nobody stronger than me, greater than me, mightier than me. You can either worship that and celebrate that, or you can spend the rest of your little life down here on this side, waiting for the day you die and you meet Him face to face on that side. 
because you can't stay here. You will meet Him there. And you will either hear Him say, Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or you will hear Him say, Depart from me. I never knew you. Either way, He will be your King. Easter is a celebration to us because for us that have said, boy, He's my King. He's my Lord. Then He settled everything about life. Everything about the meaning of life. Everything about my purpose in life. Will you stand? Luke 24, that one verse just stands out to me. And He opened their eyes. He opened the mind of their understanding. Many years ago, that's what happened to me. If you know me, you know I'm not an emotional person as far as I like things. In fact, when me and Elise got married many years ago, and first thing her pastor told me, he said, you'd make a great Methodist pastor. I said, I don't think it's going to happen. But it's. But I understood what he said. I, I'm not... I just believe truth. I'm not trying to stir you or trying to trick you or... I just want to know the truth. 2,000 years ago, breaking news came upon the world. And it's been the truth that's been the truth ever since then through all time. Is it the man that came and said he was the Son of God? The man that we killed because he claimed to be the Son of God? rose from the dead today because He was the Son of God. Somewhere in all of my watching and all of my reading and all of my studying, I too finally God said, let me open your mind, Tim. Let me show you what you're living in. It, it, it's not what you think. What you think is real is really not the real stuff. That's temporary. But if you come up here with me and walk with me, I'll show you what's real. And we can walk through this life together. And we'll watch time go by. There will be some hurts and some tears, some laughter. But don't you worry, Tim. Because the moment your time ends there, you won't ever see death. You'll just keep right on living where you were meant to live all alone. That truth is the same truth that Paul said, I've shared all my life. It's the truth throughout ages has been shared. And this morning, it's the truth that you will have to determine what you believe. If you say, I don't believe it, 
I don't believe He lived. I don't believe He died. I don't believe He rose from the dead. I, I don't believe He was the Son of God. Then, then live your life. But if maybe just for a moment today, God, through the music, through my message, through just something that was said, you can look at that tomb and realize He's not there. My Savior lives. My Savior lives. If you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, I need to make that statement. Just like C.S. Lewis that day knelt down and he said, I had to do it. I couldn't fight it anymore. I couldn't go against it. It's just truth. Just like me, years ago, I knelt down and I said, it's the truth. For someone in this room today, this is your moment. It's your moment where God comes in because you can't separate Him from you. And He says, will you let me show you the truth? If you're in this room today with every head bowed and you say, Pastor, that's me. It's time. It's time to receive Him for who He is. He is my risen Savior. He is King of kings and He's Lord of lords. And He reigns. He is the greatest breaking news that will ever come across the scene. From today, yesterday, and any day in the future. I need Him to be my King. If that's you this morning, then I want you to do what I did, C.S. Lewis did, anyone throughout all the thousands of years. I need you to step out. I need you to be bold and say, I made a decision. And I need you to receive Christ. Just kneeling down and say, Lord, I believe it. I believe who you are. I accept it. I surrender. I lose my life today so I can find it. I don't want to hold on to the old one that I had anymore. If that's you right now, don't look around, just bolt out. Just say, today is my day when I stop living down there and I start walking with Him up here. If that's you, Father, this morning, this is our celebration. Our moment where we declare reality. The reality of our Lord who lived. Our reality of our Lord who died. And the reality that those disciples saw many years ago. That He is King of kings. And He is Lord of lords. Father, this morning, let us celebrate it all day. All our lives. And into the world to come. In Jesus' name. Amen.